0: It also gets exaggerated because you're in an advertising and advertising is taking a brand core and embellishing it. And I've kind of like nurtured that to be this persona. A lot of it I think is authentically me, but some of it is also what you're exposed to. It just makes you you know, show off more or flaunt it more, right?
1: Hello and welcome to Working Your Way the podcast dedicated to unraveling the journey of being authentic in the workplace. I'm your host, Sunday Sadhakar, and today my guest is Matt Katan. Matt is a creative executive in the advertising industry. And his story is unique because, well, he's unique. He's someone who shows up as himself almost 100% of the time, maybe actually 100% of the time. And this isn't your typical story of someone going from, wearing a mask at work to becoming themselves. For Matt, art school and the advertising industry actually helped him to develop into who he was always meant to be. Someone who's full of energy and ideas with a big, bold, larger-than-life personality. In this episode, we talk about his story of coming to the U.S. and how he learned about the culture here and how he's moved up in the ranks in his advertising career and adapted as he's become a leader. We also dive into respect and inclusion and how the creative process is evolving. I know you'll get some good laughs along the way with us as Matt takes us on his journey. Welcome to the Working Your Way podcast. Matt, I am very happy to have you on. Super excited to have this conversation with you.
0: Happy to be on.
1: You came to this country at 15 to come to art school, and I want to like jump right back into that. Like, tell me about what it was like to come here at such a young age, and who were you then?
0: I started off uh, when I was young, I started off kindergarten early. I had like a jump start over a lot of kids, and this is back in India in the you know 70s, so I kind of jumped a couple of grades here and there and then in high school i only did two years of high school and then there's something called intermediate college and i kind of bypassed that and came to america to go to art school my uncle happened to be a teacher at an art school and helped get admission so again, that's why I bypassed. It's not that I was super smart. It just I was, you know, a little
1: bit above average. That might up. have been the case also. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, came here 15, and it was very. I remember my very first week at school. I told people I was 15, and like that was the conversation in the entire college. By by the second semester, I stopped telling people I was 15 because because <laughs> that was all they talked about. I was like, all right, let's move on from this. So somehow I jumped three years. By the time it was the second semester. When I suddenly became 18. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah so it, it was quite an experience. You know, I came straight from I was born in India. I grew up in Dubai. And then after a little stops in England, you know, for summers and stuff, I came here and it was quite an experience.
1: Yeah. And, and what was different about your personality back then? So yeah, I had to
0: change. I mean, I was kind of quiet in high school. I was a little bit nerdy. I'm not saying I'm not anymore, but I was pretty nerdy. Like I was like the prefect at school and I was always in all the speech competitions and, you know, overachieving kid. So yeah, coming here and then going to art school, which, you know, is different. You have to really have your creative side really come out, right? So that was quite a big leap for me. But I, I adapted pretty fast. It took me literally less than a year to go from this curly hair to having this long hair and piercing my ears and, you know, speaking the speak, you know, getting the language down to be an artist. So that happened pretty fast. Uh, but again, a lot of that was because of the people around me. I was lucky enough to get a great group of friends who, you know, even though they thought I was a kid, had they called me the kid, they actually brought me under their wings and taking me out to talk about culture. That first year was literally being a sponge because you had to learn everything about America, the slang, the language, the culture, all that in literally a year, just to keep up with everybody else. Because as I, as I told you, I'm in advertising, and advertising really you have to be the hub of culture and know what's happening in society, and it took a long you know time to get all the way into that. Like I was always surprised. that like, my very first few weeks, I was like why does everybody talk about The Wizard of Oz? I've never seen that movie. But there's always some reference to The Wizard of Oz, like Dorothy, or it's not Kansas anymore, and... Every time they say that, I'm like, I don't know what this means. (laughs) I have to see this movie. So I was like absorbing movies, magazines, TV shows. I remember I'd go home after school and what's happening, the TV show. You may not remember that because you're young. Like what's happening was on TV or, you know, good times. And just really absorbing that. And, you know, the mid to late 80s was all about MTV also. So I was glued to the television set, just listening to the music, Of course, I used to butcher all the lyrics because, you know, I, I didn't know what the hell they were saying, but it was it was quite quite an experience. So, yeah, that's 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 made me who I am. Like you have to really project and be outside of who you are if you don't want to be ignored or not be part of the group.
1: Say a little bit more about that, because, you know, going from a reserved kind of, as you put it, nerdy kid to you are somebody who anyone who knows you today would say you are unapologetically yourself. You are bold and loud, and you just you have a really vibrant personality. So how do you get from that point to this point?
0: So I think inherently it must have always been inside me. I mean, it's not like I just what it just hadn't come out. Because childhood living in India, I went to boarding school, there's so much chaos and craziness. And my parents were both doctors, so they were big personalities too. So I kind of was a little bit more shuddered. You know, shudder. But I think once I came here and just seeing that, especially in the advertising industry, where they reward craziness, they reward being out there, being outspoken and you know, pushing the boundaries of ideas and stuff. So that kind of helped. I know some people might actually go back the other way. Like when they get this crazy exposure, they might shrink. Just from my personality, that's probably like I said, inherent in me. I just became more outgoing and social, and it's something I've continued. So that was 1983. That was exactly 40 years ago. So that's when I came to America. So 40 years ago, I've been here, and yeah, I I think my personality has grown with that. So yeah.
1: At one point, we had had a conversation. You said, you know, you kind of became this this creative persona, but. I, I would say you probably had it in you the whole time and kind of art school and advertising gave you the space to like expand into that.
0: I think, like I said, my friends around me, I found this great group of four guys. We were like the five musketeers, the five of us. We went out. And illegally, they let me drink alcohol, you know, at the age of 15. (laughs) We'd go to bars. They taught me how to talk to men, women, like all that stuff. I think I started telling you the story, too. My very first guy who sat next to me was African-American. His name was Charles Broad. And he took me under his wing, too. And just, you know, just getting to know black culture, you know, and I'd never like I know it sounds completely crazy, but I first came here. One of the first comments I ever made was my God, there's so many African people around, like, what's going on? Like, I always thought Chicago (laughs) was, you know, just from TV shows. And I just thought it was, like, you know, much more Caucasian. When I came here, I'm like, wow. And because, you know, I'm in the south side of Chicago. But it just was like a learning experience. And it was awesome. I got adopted, like, you know, by this group. And I was, like, part of it. So it's always been part of my DNA, where just to know what culture is. And as you know, you know, African-American culture is really like where everything starts like everybody's watching what they're doing in terms of music or coolness Mm -hmm. and they all adopt that and I was right into that right off the bat so that was fortuitous I could have been in some weird school out in (laughs) Penn you know Pennsylvania you know I don't know Penn State whatever and it would have been like a total different experience (laughs) but being in an urban city I mean my my school was on Michigan Avenue right downtown right so just that urban culture really you know you know, it really came into me.
1: It's like a scene out of a movie. You come here and you expect just to see a bunch of white people and you're like, Whoa, who are all these other
0: folks? <laughs> I know it sounds terrible because I mean, you just want to, I mean, nowadays, of course, with internet and TV, it's all so big. I mean, in the, you know, 70s and 80s, it was much smaller. You just yeah. watched a few movies here and there. You know, I remember Coming to America or, you know, some Eddie Murphy movies and stuff like that. Anyway, yeah. but yeah, so that that that's created... That helped create the persona. And, you know, I think it also gets exaggerated because you're in an advertising and advertising is taking a brand core and embellishing it. And I've kind of like nurtured that to be this persona. A lot of it, I think is authentically me, but some of it is also what you're exposed to. It just makes you you know, show off more or flaunt it more. Right. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think interestingly, like one of the, I don't know, signs or symptoms of like not being yourself is like it's just exhausting and I don't get that impression from you that like you come home tired at the end of the day or like close your laptop whatever it is if you're working from home
0: yeah I think anybody listening to this podcast who knows me would say yep energy like I mean I'm 55 now and literally you know my energy level I still don't know how I do it I really don't Like I can go out five days a week. (laughs) You don't even know. Yeah, Five days a week, I can get up the next morning and go to work. So it's just been my persona. And that's just something I've had in me. And a lot of people even change, like, you know, they have their work, they have their home, they have their hobbies, they bifurcate all that. I've merged it all because I love what I do, right? I don't consider advertising work. I just, it's something I've loved. I love culture and, you know, advertising has, it mixes everything. It mixes fashion, music, film, art. It's all in a blender and that's what advertising is. So I've loved it. So, and most of my friends I met through advertising. I met my wife through teaching advertising. So all that stuff has come together and it's become part of my culture. And I don't think I can separate it.
1: Yeah. So I want to come back to that, but first I want to kind of rewind back. So after art school, like what were those first couple of years for you, like in your career, when you started in advertising, were you totally you were there? Things that you had to still kind of assimilate to. What was that like?
0: Yeah, I think I I got a good story for you. So you know, Matt Kutan is my name, but my birth name is actually Madhu Kutan. And I in in college, my first two three years, I was Madhu Madhu. Everybody called me Madhu. I mean, they always massacred the name, the D especially. It's Madhu, not Madhu, but whatever and this funny story the dh
1: thing always throws people
0: off the dh is like it's a hard one (laughs) yeah so what happened is i this is people like that didn't happen and it really did i mean it's the weirdest way like everybody (laughs) knows me as matt and how it came up with that name is such a weird story like i was literally by wrigley field getting my you know back in the day you couldn't just go online and you had to like have a resume printed by a printer. So when I was about to graduate and get a summer job, I went to put my name, Madhu Kutan, my address and all my qualifications. And the printer goes, what the hell is this name? (laughs) Right to my face. He goes, what's your name, Madhu? Is that a typo? I'm like, no, that's my name. He goes, dude, no one's going to give you a job. (laughs) I was like, what? He's like, with that name? You're not getting a job. You got to change your name. And I'm like, okay, this is not Ellis Island 1920s where people are changing their names. But I'm like, what? It's like, you should go with Matt. And I'm like, and it was such a like weird thing that, and I'm like, okay, like I should have just been like, no. <laughs> but I literally it's like, all right. So even though my nickname was Matt or Matty when I was growing up, it just became Matt. And now even my parents and my wife, they all call me Matt, which is, <laughs> it was just... I got to find out who this printer guy is. Like, he's the one who christened me Matt. So, but that's a funny thing. It shows you, though, like how the world has changed. Right. Back then, people made fun of your name or they thought it was ridiculous Mm -hmm. that no one's going to hire you because of your name. They won't even respond to you with a phone call if you have a name like that. And that was true. I mean, not true everywhere, but that's possibly happened to a lot of people and you know, nowadays, of course, people's identity is so important. They will, f- even if you have the craziest twenty-letter name, which some of our friends and you know have that name, <laughs> but even be like, what? But we still have to call them that because we have to respect and learn. Because if they can learn as foreigners learn American names, why can't American learn more foreign names? And I'm, of course, there's no American. America is. a uh, melting pot of all, all these people. crazy countries and all these names. So, but we've made an effort to learn Irish names or other names. So why can't we learn Sri Lankan names or Asian names? That's it. It's a part of where the culture has gone where, yes, we will learn your name, right?
1: So I want to pause here for a second, and talk about names. Matt mentioned that things have changed and I think they have changed a lot, but there's still a lot of bias that exists when it comes to names. He was joking about changing your name when you arrived as an immigrant in Ellis Island, which did happen a lot back in that time and how he changed his name because of this guy that was working in the print shop, which would have been, you know, back in the eighties. There's a study from 2004, which might seem old, but it's not that old. And it certainly isn't Ellis Island or the eighties. It's in our time right now. And in this study, They had people apply to jobs using identical resumes, but using names that, and I'm using air quotes here, sounded white or sounded black. And the resumes for the people whose names sounded black got called back 50% fewer times for the same jobs. With the same qualifications, the same resumes, they got significantly fewer callbacks. And it's astounding just how much Unconscious bias still impacts our workplaces in very real ways, like who gets a callback for a job. I also just want to take this as an opportunity to educate or bring awareness to just how important names are. Names matter. They're something that's really intrinsic to our identity. And respecting names is critical. Learning how to properly spell and pronounce names is non-negotiable and I do not care how difficult they seem. I used to get asked a lot, do you have any nicknames or do you ever go by Sandy? And I would always unapologetically say no. But I also allowed people to mispronounce my name a lot when I was younger because I felt uncomfortable calling even more attention to just how different my name was or how hard it was to say. I actually remember a moment in my corporate career where I won this big award. Our team gave out two big awards every year. And this was a big deal because we had a 50 or 60 person team and I had worked really hard and I got this fancy crystal engraved award and my name was spelled wrong. I had earned this recognition and just seeing that immediately took the wind out of my sails. Frankly, it robbed me of the pride that I should have felt in that moment, and instead I was embarrassed to have to bring it up later. And they eventually did fix it, they reordered it, and they felt really bad, but it's kind of one of those things where if you don't ever have your name misspelled or mispronounced, you don't really realize the impact that it has, or maybe you don't check it as closely or don't realize how hurtful it might be when you get it wrong. The long and short of it is that names really matter. And we're going to continue to need to grow here in our organizations, especially as gender non-conforming or transgender individuals feel more safe to share their names at work. It's going to be critical to be respectful to those around you. And I would encourage everybody to make the extra effort to always get it right.
0: Yeah, so nowadays if you ask somebody where they're from and they have like an ethnic background, I mean, people are offended. Like, wait a minute, what do you mean? I'm American. My family's been here for two generations. But in the past, when people asked you, it was almost expected to give an answer. And I remember some of our friends even back then are like, we're Americans. I always took it as a teaching experience, teaching moment. Like if people asked me where I was from, I would literally go into details exactly where i'm from where i grew up and sometimes people are like all right all right we got it <laughs> you're american <laughs> all right t- t- tmi <laughs> yeah. but I, I always you know yeah. i know people are offended by that or uh, people are like where are your parents from and be like our oh, parents are from cincinnati where are your grandparents from cincinnati and they will not people are trying to get to like where are you ethnically are you like Korean or Chinese, you know, like, but, and I know some people are okay with it, but a lot of people now are like, no, I don't, I don't want to tell you where I'm from. I'm American. So, and I get it. But for me, I I actually enjoy it when people ask me. I I make it like a, like I said, a teaching moment to go into details and educate people and not every time, but most of the time people are actually happy with that. You know, they want, and it's, you're, you're just imparting some knowledge, you know, so.
1: Yeah, and, and leading with a little humor, right? Where you're like, well, you, you ask me where I'm from instead of asking me the question that you really want to hear, which is like, what's your ethnic background or your cultural heritage or whatever? So you're like, well, if you're going to ask me where I'm from, I'm going to tell you all the things about it, so. <laughs>
0: yeah, and if you know my personality, I, I, I will not stop talking. So I will give you all the details. You want to know my history, where I'm from? I will tell you every, how much time you got.
1: Do you think you're somebody that just is not easily offended or do you think you grew a thick skin over time i mean i i feel like you probably heard some crazy shit like coming here when you did and just kind of being in a new world truly
0: i think it's a mix mix of both i think when i was young and again it's the personality i know if you're young and someone says something inappropriate or racist some people would go back in their shell some people want to fight back some people are like eh Oh, he's a dumbass, you know, like they can go with that. Like, you know, there's a famous movie, Roxanne from the 80s with Steve Martin, and he's got a big nose in that he's got a big nose. So he knows people are going to make comments about his nose, like, hey, what's the air like up there? What's the weather in, the, you know, two, two miles away? Like, and... And he, he would, like, break it off before they could say anything more. He's like, he would tell better jokes than they could tell jokes about his nose. And I think I got that persona where, oh, you're going to make mm-hmm. jokes about Indians or, okay, or short people, whatever. I'm going to give you 10 jokes that's better than your jokes. And then it shuts them up. And they're like, okay, you know. So, yeah, so I did learn to grow a thicker skin. But also my, mm-hmm. again, I'm 55 now, been through the ringer. So I'm like, you know what, nothing. Like a duck, you know, water off my back.
1: yeah part part who you are and part coping mechanism maybe right (laughs)
0: yeah and but i think is i've learned that because i've got you know three boys like you know each one is different personalities like they Mm -hmm. all if the same question put to them or the same kind of feedback given to them would be taken differently so being a father has actually taught me because I was always like, why are people not like me? You know, <laughs> it's so easy. Just say no or ah, don't be worried about it. They're racist. Forget about them. But I understand how it, yeah. you know, it embeds into other people's souls and it, it might offend them or change them. And, you know, so I just feel like I've learned that, OK, you need to, OK, balance in different ways and treat people differently. And if they don't understand why things are the way they are, maybe taking that extra effort to talk to them about it. So...
1: As Matt mentioned, not everyone is going to receive things in the same way that you would. I really appreciate how he reflected on this through his own experience of having three sons and seeing how they inherently are all very different. It's important to maintain our own boundaries around what feels comfortable and can we try to find the middle ground or seek to understand before we write someone off where we can Importantly, I think having a foundation of trust in our relationships provides a little bit more leeway when it comes to making mistakes. When we don't have that foundation of trust, a minor slip up in the way someone addresses me might come across as offensive or disrespectful versus if someone who I do have a longer history with or I've built up that foundation of trust with said the same thing, I might give them a pass or seek to understand what might be going on that might have caused them to say whatever it was. At the end of the day, trust in relationships builds a lot more resilience. And where we don't have that opportunity to build trust, I'd love to see more conversations and just approaching interactions with curiosity versus not having any dialogue at all and assuming the worst of other people's intentions. There's a saying that says... We judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge other people by their actions. And I think that can often be true. We don't typically pause to question or to question our own reaction and maybe see that. Do we assume the best of the person's intention? And I think that this is, of course, something that I want to caveat and say in situations where we're being harmed and discriminated against or these are not people that have your best interests in mind I'm not saying to give everyone the benefit of the doubt but in relationships where they are people we're working with a lot or that we trust can we assume positive intent and open up a space of conversation and curiosity so what were the what were the early days like for you in advertising how did you navigate this kind of new world new professional world Do you feel like you were showing up fully? How are you adapting?
0: I was fortunate and unfortunate in some ways because I was in the cusp of the 80s, late 80s, where computers were not a thing yet. And, you know, computers are such a big part of advertising now from programs to Photoshop, you know, all that stuff. I learned the old way to even cut little type or, you know, designing stuff with your hands, drawing. Everything's drawn or written. And then computers were just coming on. And actually... Funny story. I was just talking to somebody about it recently. They tested me. Apple came to my school and they tested some computers. But it was so bad, and I'm like, "There's no way this is going to catch on," because I, I was in way too early on the <laughs> ground floor. You know, so I was like, "It was so bad. It was crashing." There was some guys helping, and I'm like, "What? All this effort just to create a line on a computer? I'm like, this is never going to catch on. This is like the biggest." BS. I was I was so wrong. <laughs> so, You're like,
1: guys, abandon this idea. This is <laughs> never going to work. These computer things.
0: <laughs> so even in the '90s, when it was finally taken off in advertising, and I'm like, nah, I'm still going to hand draw things and write things on sheets of paper. And then finally, I'm like, all right, this is caught on now. I should, you know, I should switch and take some classes <laughs> to do this stuff. So that was one thing that was different. But also being, because you know, I came as a foreigner, then I was a foreign student, then I did internships. There, there was a learning curve, you know, like inappropriate things said to me, like, hey, like if I wrote something unusual, you know, in a more English, because, you know, Indians learn with the British way, right? Oh, that's that's not good English. And I'm like, well, actually, it's English, English. But and they're like, well, you're a foreigner. Your English is not good or something like that. And I'm like, all right, thanks. <laughs> but I would like, again, water off my back. But I could see how that could be offensive to a lot of people. So the first few years was tough getting to know, and I think that's when I first met you too many years ago. I was just just out of school, so I'm learning the process, learning how industries work. But then, you know, I finally found my groove, and, you know, once you do, you hit the ground running, and you're taken off, so.
1: Yeah. Were there any moments where you felt like you were kind of a different person at work than you were at home, or do you feel like you've always been able to merge those? I know it's very different for I, you now.
0: Yeah. I've, I've always been the same, so I never – my parents, like I said, were very open and I told them everything. I Like, it wasn't like you keep a secret from your parents. Or from, the way I talk to you is the way I talk to my clients, the way, the way I talk to my kids, the way I talk to, you know, my parents, it's all the same. So there is no, and I don't know, a lot of cultures, a lot of people have to separate. But like I said to you earlier, my world, I've merged it all into one thing. So there is no filter, you know, like it's always the same. So, yeah, but again... Mm-hmm that's because of my personality. And I know some people don't have that, but they have to like, Oh, you know, i got to separate my life from this or, Oh, my mom is from the old country. I can never use the curse words in front of her or tell someone I'm dating this person. And those cultural divides are there. And I understand yeah. that. But I was fortunate where my parents were like, you know what, do what you need to do. So, you know,
1: yeah, the interesting thing is, I think, you know, because a lot of people talking about talk about like, code switching at work. Right. And you have to be a different person at work and at home. And I wonder if like, did you just, you had the right fit in terms of like your personality didn't have to be like, you know, diminished because you were in this industry that actually really encouraged creativity and boldness and, and being interesting. Do you think that uh, fit plays a role then?
0: Yeah, so I found what my way. Like very few people can say they're doing what they dreamed of when they were kids. I dreamed about being in advertising or filmmaking or, you know, what I'm doing now, since I was five years old, and I'm doing it, right? So there was no like, oh my god, I'm a fireman, I'm not a fireman, or I wanna be an astronaut or not, right? So I was lucky that I'm doing what I love. But you know, you had to adapt. I mean, I, I remember I had to change my personality a little bit to adapt to things. The biggest changes because the world is a little bit more sensitive now, and in the old days of advertising—the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s—you could say things or you know, brainstorm crazy ideas or say inappropriate things to create something new. Now your levels of, you know, how what you can say in, in public or even you know with one-on-one, it's really curtailed. So you have to be very smart. And now that I'm in upper management too, I probably hang out less with people who are more junior. Because there's, you know, now there's differentiators or we as senior members of the team, we do have different levels of conversation that we cannot have with more junior people, whether it's giving information or even how you ingest information from them and respond to it. It's, it's different levels. I, I do miss it. I do miss the crazy old days of advertising where, I mean, you know, not the inappropriate. You know, there was, of course, a lot of bad things, too. But I, yeah, I do miss, yeah. like, because, you know, like writers or comedians, we just have this pushing the borderline of what's appropriate and not. And that fringe is where the big ideas come from. Now we are so mm. afraid to go to that level. We kind of like, all right, I can't even say that because someone might be offended if I said, you know this person walks into a bar and no matter who that person is they'll be offended like wait a minute what do you mean why is it that person are you doing a parody of them are they real you know so a lot of those ideas are gone and if you look at tv nowadays a lot of the tv spots it's no longer as you know crazy or exciting like it used to be 20 30 years ago because now you're kind of a very softer palette And you're appealing to a lot more people in general. And, you know, you worked in marketing, too, in the past. So, you know, you have to be much more smarter and appeal more to the masses and check all the boxes of making sure all groups are represented in in a positive way without negating any one group or making fun of somebody, you know.
1: What I'm hearing in your story is kind of the opposite of what a lot of people maybe would say is like, oh, early in my career, I I had to be this thing or I thought I had to be this thing. And then I, over time, right, became more, I was able to bring more of myself into my job. And and for you, I think you had that really good fit from the start of, I get to be me, it's welcomed, it's actually encouraged and embraced. And then now how do I, how do I adapt to a leadership level? How do I adapt to the changing expectations of moving up within the organization? And so it's almost like flipped on its head a little bit, not to say that you're less authentic now than then. It's like you've just had to figure out, okay, what are the the parts that like show up in these different spaces? And how do I hold all of that?
0: Totally. My life has flipped. I was probably more original authentic. <laughs> you're just authentic. upside down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've, I mean, I'm sure there's different types of people, right? So, yeah. So, for me, now I'm less authentic than I was before. I think in the last 10, 15 years, I've had to, like, temper myself down and be more, you know, like, okay, you mean it this way, but it's it might be misinterpreted. And in the old days, if you were a junior level person, you're misinterpreted, no one gives a shit, you know. But now it's like, okay, you are in a management level and, you, you know, running companies and working with big brands. You just have to be a little bit more... Think before you speak. And as you can tell mm-hmm. from my personality, I'm much more bubbly and like let's just say things and you know, let bounce ideas off the walls. Now it's gotta be like, okay, temper those words, listen more. I mean that's been I keep telling myself even now in meetings, like listen more, even though you may already have an answer and then the next forty minutes of people talking is all moot. But I just you know what, let them listen, let them talk. Because let them, you know, find themselves and then maybe you just jump in mm-hmm. as needed to you know enhance some of their thoughts because if you just jump in and give answers or take over it could dominate the conversation and they they don't get to be themselves because again a lot of it is learning a lot of advertising and a lot of junior people they i mean what's missing now is a lot of those experiences we had 20 30 years ago everything's now on the computer or just googling stuff in the old days, you had to go touch it and feel it. Like, no, there's a famous saying: You will never know what fire is. You can read about fire, talk about fire, but until you've touched fire, you'll never know that. So right now, a lot of people seem to be knowing things but without having experienced it, right? Or, you know, having not fallen or broken or s- a bone, you know, like all those are things you can hear about, but until you experience it. So, but people need to do that. So I'm trying my best as a leader to help them learn you know let's stumble and fall and learn things you know so
1: yeah totally and you know what you're what you're pointing at is like i mean it's coaching right it's truly coaching and like you know the answer or you know an answer that you could give them but they're gonna learn so much more from getting there on their own and so taking that step back like taking a beat like you said just listening and and not not saying anything
0: i think the biggest thing and you know this is from a very old quote is about intuition. Like your intuition is creativity, your your instincts is creativity. And a mm. lot of the a lot of people, it's the more junior people now under the age of thirty, they don't have that as much because they, you know because of COVID and all the other things that's going on. But they haven't had that experience. Like I learned the most in advertising from being around senior people and watching them, you know, do things and break things and make things. Now it's all on the computer, and you cannot. You know, you're not working at the speed of working next to a master. Like in the old days, you were an apprentice and you learn from the master, right? Now it's more like you're on the Zoom call. You go off and work. You come back. You share work. And it still works for a lot of people. I know a lot the new generation have this is all they know. So they work fine. But for me, I yeah. still feel the best work happens, you know, you know rubbing elbows against somebody and you learn something and oh why'd you do it that way and asking that question all that is missing now right so yeah so instincts and honing that skill but you know right now the best thing right now is for the most my entire life right now is the nicest time for people to be who they are like it's all appreciated it's in the old days like someone like me yeah people did say why are you in this room or or you're Indian, you know, do you speak English? Like all those things I mentioned before, like random stuff where you're like, what? That would never happen now, right? Well, it happens a few places, but not everywhere. Now it's much more like your sexuality, your gender, your race, all that is like, people love it and I love that. So a lot of that, it really helps build good ideas. But I think I'm still missing some of that taking risks or pushing things. And in my industry, not all industries required, but my industry, that's where great creativity comes like, Hey, you know, you took that extra leap, or you tried it this way, or you did this funny idea, which might be on the fence of inappropriateness, but it's funny, and it, you know, what people will appreciate it because you're not teasing somebody, but you're like, you know, poking a little bit of fun, like fun that we can all enjoy together, not poking fun at one person, right? So that balance, that balance is hard, and I talk about it a lot when I do different talks or meetings where push it, but just be smart, you know, be careful. You're not really stepping on people, but you it's good to like keep pushing ideas to that edge. You know?
1: This is a really interesting challenge. How do we balance empathy and inclusion and evolving cultural norms, but also find ways to unleash creativity in a space that doesn't have any boundaries? We're in this really big moment of change. The way we used to do things just isn't going to work anymore and we have to adapt but it takes some time for people to truly let go of the old ways of doing things and that's often because they might have felt the most capable doing things that way and so as a human it's hard to embrace a new way where you don't know yet that you'll be able to be successful you hear this kind of complaint from comedians a lot these days People are too sensitive, and it's limiting comedians' ability to do what they do. But we know there are many ways to be funny without punching down or causing potential harm to people. In the advertising industry, I'm clearly not the expert here, but in my mind, it might look like no longer using identity as the butt of the joke, but maybe really tapping into empathy to connect to people in a more meaningful way than we could before, or really playing on the humor in the human experiences that bring us together. We're going to rejoin the conversation where Matt's sharing more about the evolution of the industry and how he's evolving with it. I mean, you've witnessed like in the span of your career, you've witnessed this mega shift in culture, right? And in the advertising world. And I think that's so interesting. It's part of why you have... Such amazing stories. But where we started out of you like coming here and just being a sponge, I, I, and I also, I want to, I want to save you a little bit because you made a lot of 80s references and I know you're way cooler than (laughs) than, the the old person that you are are, are making yourself out to (laughs) be. You're like, I'm an old guy and I make all these Steve Martin references. Like, no, you're actually very cool. So. Talk about how, like, how does being a sponge, right? Like, you learn to be a sponge of like culture and absorbing what's out there in the in the zeitgeist. Like, what? How has that served you in your career? I mean, there's an obvious answer, but like, tell me a little bit more about that and just absorbing culture and learning it and seeing it and 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 analyzing it in that sense.
0: So, advertising, like I threw out earlier, it's like a conglomerate of all these industries. I mean, we need, like when you do a TV spot, you got to know directing, you got to know acting, you got to know music, you got to tell storytelling, you have to have a writer. So all these different industries, even architecture and art, all that comes together for advertising. So to know all those things, to be, you know, a jack of all trades, you have to know all these industries. So as a good creative director, you got to know, like, what's good, you know, what's good voice? Like, I learned, I remember being at a voice session and I've never done one before. Of course, I pretended like I have. I'm like, oh, yeah, hit this button, you know, and then you yeah, can you do try it a different way with more bass, you know, and people help me through that. Right. So you have to know <laughs> a little bit of all these industries and you have to stay on top of it. So the best people like I'll tell you something else. For my group of class from 1985, 86, I graduated. I'm probably the only guy still in advertising. Most of them have gone Mm -hmm. on to other things. And we actually had a reunion and literally no one of them, none of them were in advertising anymore. So I think that's because you have to stay on top of cultures. You've had to pivot from hand drawing things to computers to knowing TikTok. I I have all those apps. I mean... Again, you said "Grandpa" from the '80s, which is still cool.
1: You but- made yourself sound like that. I'm just trying to make sure that everybody that listens knows that that is not you. Yeah,
0: I, I've got Instagram, TikTok, and I'm on that. I'm I'm on all the programs. I've, I have to follow influencers, yeah. you know, just to know things. Do I enjoy it all? No, but if you want to stay on top of things, because that's where, no, that's where the media is, and if you want to be in this advertising industry, which is talking to your people where they are and, you know, giving them stories that they want to engage with. You have to know all those things. And sometimes it's good to have a junior team that is really on top of it. And they'll keep you up to date. Like, Matt, you don't know this. This is what's cool. And I'll be like, I've never heard of that person. And they'd be like, oh, my God, you know, 20 million views. I'm like, all right, cool. And then that's a good learn. But you have to have open, open right? You also have to be, as like you said earlier, a sponge. Like, I, you know, I probably have like 30, 40 books here. And I promise you, I've not finished any of these books. I've all read like <laughs> 10 pages or 20 pages. And I've got tons of magazines. You have to just be like absorber of things. I mean, I've got a little booklet over here, which I literally have clippings and videos and photos and just... Sayings that I saw that somebody said, I just clip it and glue it on here, and or draw something if I saw something somewhere. It just keeps you on top of what's going on, just it keeps your mind going. And again, I'm good at that. Some people are not, so I was fortunate that that's been part of my career. You know.
1: Yeah, and I also think it's it's the outcome of like finding the right fit. Like you mentioned, your your whole life in some way revolves around the industry. But it's not a an overkill or a thing you felt like you needed to do. It's like you're so ingrained and engrossed in it that that it's it's felt almost natural to kind of build this life around you. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, I think we've said this twice before. Yeah, I'm so fortunate. And literally, it's the people around me. I'm so lucky that I've got this great group of friends and family that has supported it. And, you know, advertising is a tough industry. People think, oh my God, you're flying all over, shooting commercials, you know, working with models and musicians. And it is such a tough industry. Like you have to stay on top of it. You know, like, and very few people, ageism is rampant in this industry, you know it's 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 nuts so to stay on top of it you have to be lucky have a good good group of friends and you have to have the talent and perseverance i think what also happens is a lot of people as they get older they build all these extra baggage i think you have to be very malleable to be like all right i'm going to switch and adapt and this and that or and stay on top of things so that that has helped me but again i have required help like it's i've been lucky too. luck is very important you know
1: yeah. And it's this element of, you know, as you say, like, you you have to hold everything kind of loosely. It's like, you've mentioned a number of times where it's like, I just don't take things that seriously. It's like, you don't kind of have that attachment to certain things. And that's allowed you to be really agile in, in your own learning and your own growth. And so I think that's it's interesting because it, it seems like a theme like throughout your life. But I mean, the main reason is think about it, though,
0: I, I get paid to just come up with ideas and you know, do crazy stuff. I mean, very few people in the world are lucky enough to do that, right? And actually and enjoy it. Like there's very few days I've woken up, like I don't want to work. Very few, if, if none. I mean, literally, I mean, I'm already tired from doing stuff, but it's just like, wow. Just think of things that people will create. I mean, you know, we're going to think of an idea. We're going to release 20 birds into the clouds and, you know, have helicopter shots of things. And it's just something crazy in your mind. And it really happens three months later. You know, you're spending a million (laughs) dollars shooting it, right? You're like, what? You know, like it just happens, you know. And then, you know, a lot of it is stories of people, right? I think that's, you know, I know that's not the question you really ask, but I feel like authentic stories for commercials and stuff come from people's experiences. And some of the best commercials I've seen are like, you know what, that happened to my uncle or that happened to a friend of mine. And you'll almost be like, no, it didn't. But if it did and you embellish it in some ways or you tell the story, it becomes a bigger story for the world. So, and I love doing that, you know, so that's also helped me continue my career, just taking little experiences and putting that on the on TV spots in the big screen, you know, and it's not just TV, it's billboards, ads, social media, you know, digital, all yeah. that is part of
1: it. I love the idea that as a kid, you were like, I want to be an artist or, you know, kind of, you like knew this and followed that path. Like, what do you think were some things along the way that supported you from kind of that knowing as a kid, which a lot of people abandon that at some point along the way for practicality purposes or think like for me, I thought I wanted to be a teacher and I didn't get great feedback from my family about that as a career choice. So I shifted, you know? And so my question really is, you know, what, what supported you in going from kind of that dream to like going and making it happen? Cause I'm sure you knew something as a kid that would make you really great at this.
0: So, My mom, first of all, so my mom is a doctor, but she was an artist growing up and she wanted to be an artist. But of course, her parents were like, nope, you're going to be a doctor. You know, my mom's six siblings are all doctors. So and her her father was a doctor. So they were forced to go into it. So my mom always Mm -hmm. supported that art thing within me. I probably got the genetics from her and she was always like, yeah, go be an artist. My dad was a little bit more skeptical, like he didn't know what advertising was. And I also didn't really know advertising. I was more about art, like painting and also filmmaking and, you know, music videos. That was what I was in my mind. But then I kind of got pushed into advertising because, again, luck. My uncle, who lived in Chicago, was in advertising. And he's the one who said, come to America, stay with us and go to school here. So I was so fortuitous. Like, I talked to him and literally it was one of those weird things. I was about to go to school in India for college or medical school. Uh, That was my plan. And. He said, hey, come stay with me. So that was so lucky and so kind of him to welcome me to come do that. And he was in advertising. So I'd come home and I'd watch him because I was studying painting and stuff. And I would see him do advertising. I'm like, I can do that. You know, I remember he had an ad with Chris Everett with a tennis racket. And I'm like, oh, I get to work with Chris Everett? So I did like a little drawing with Chris Everett with a tennis racket. I still remember the headline, no matter what you do, it all comes down to this. And it was all about her shoes and her racket. And and they were like, oh, this is great. And I'm like, really? <laughs> it took me two <laughs> seconds to come up with that. <laughs> and, and then my uncle's like, oh yeah, you know, I, I, you know, back then I made 40 grand doing that. I'm like, 40 grand? What? Just to write some crazy stuff like this? So I, I was like, you know what? This seems oh, wow. like a great industry. So I was still leaning towards videos and movies, but I think advertising was like an easier career for me. And again, it's merging all the things I wanted to do, like art, music, culture, it all comes together. So, and again, it it helped that my mom was supportive of it. And then of course my uncle and, and yeah, like it was tough getting in and breaking in and also coming as a foreign student and then trying to get a visa and my green card. All that process took 10 years. It wasn't easy, but once that happened, you know, hit the ground running
1: and, were there any things that you feel like you had to unlearn along the way, aside from, you know, the technology that you were using or, or adapting to yeah. that? But.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think also unlearning unconscious prejudices, too. I think, you know, sometimes you just have these preconceptions of things and you had to unlearn that. So, I mean, that's a broader thing, not about advertising itself. But like, as you grow older, you're like, well, that's not what I thought. You know, it's like you walk a mile in someone's shoe, or have a meal with them, or have a deer drink with them. It changes your whole thing, right? So that's why I talked about experiences before. A lot of experiences mm. are missing with people. You know, I travel a lot, and it's and even though I've read so much about places, and you go there, you're like, this is not what I thought it was. Or you know, you meet someone from Russia, you're like, oh, Americans think this way about Russians. And when I went to Russia, I went to with my wife. I'm like, oh my god, this is not. They're totally like cool and normal and. You know, like, you just have these preconceptions. So I've had to, like, mislearn a lot of those things. And I think that's one thing I've had to learn. But then also technology, like you said. I was more old school, let's draw with stuff. And now it's much more computerized. But, again, talking about flipping the script, I'm trying to tell my team to stop thinking with computers. Like, if you have an assignment, I'm like, don't just go Google stuff. Like, just sit, think, talk it out. You know, just have little conversations. And then you go and go on your computer and find images or words or, and I know sometimes that is their tool. We used our brains mm-hmm. and hands more and the generation now already, the computer is their canvas. For us, it's, it was our hands and actually drawing on paper. So I do understand there's a difference, but I'm trying to teach them the best ideas do come from just taking a breath to think and just think why and how in your brain mm-hmm. before you jump on you know, devices to help you do that.
1: I mean, that goes right back full circle to what you were talking about, like that creative intuition and like letting things come from inside of you versus kind of like seeing an example of something. Right. And then that shapes or kind of limits then where you might go with it. So that totally makes sense. Awesome. Well, I know it's always inspiring to talk to somebody and see examples of people who truly feel like they're doing what they were meant to do in this world. I think it's a pretty amazing thing. So thank you for coming on and sharing your story and doing yeah, the know. exciting work that <laughs> you do.
0: <laughs> I sometimes tell people I'm the school they tore down before they built the old school. But I'm also cool, like you said.
1: <laughs> but again, guys, the I'm trying is- <laughs> to help me help you, Matt. Help me help you. <laughs>
0: That's actually what about this? Help me, help me, help me, help, help me! Uh, but again, there's no. this thing people are already thinking old school is bad. I mean, there is. It's not bad. There's a lot of learnings. I'm not saying be a boomer, which actually I, basically made a joke. You know what? Be a boomer. It's a good thing. It's, people say like it's a bad thing. <laughs> And I'm not a boomer. I'm Gen X. But what I mean is like, (laughs) there's a lot of learnings. We should not not abandon a lot of the... There's a reason things work for centuries and centuries, right? Maybe not everything worked. I'm sure there's a lot of prejudices and like I said, a lot of bad things too. But there's something from learning, experiencing, building, crafting with your hands, using your brains in different ways. If it's all this robotic way of doing things, we're never going to push the boundaries. And I feel that is something that we have to do. And again, if we are offended by some things or some things are not right, first look at intent. Was it intentional or what does that mean? And if it's not, try, I know it's hard because you cannot be teaching everybody. If someone's cursing at you at a stop sign, you're not getting out of your car to go educate them. I get that. But (laughs) at some point you have to have thick skin or you're like, you know what, at this moment I can teach something instead of being angry about it. I think that'll help with a lot because right now there's so much tension with all the stuff going on. I think a lot of it's because conversations are no longer like, you know what, you're wrong, but this is why you're wrong. Or, oh, you know what, let me clarify that for you. It's gone away from that to more like getting angry when somebody says something, you know? So again, to me, that I learned from being here for 40 years now and I came here during the Reagan years, there was so much politics, but you could talk to people, whether you're Republican or Democrat. Now there's like anger as opposed to conversation. So I think that's going to help. So that's my advice to people. Like, do your best. And not everybody has the tolerance or the patience, but do the best you can to, you know what, listen and teach.
1: Yeah, have more conversations. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Matt.
0: Take care. Have a good one.
1: I really appreciated this conversation with Matt, for many reasons, but one because it shows how someone can realize parts of their personality through work and being involved in new communities. Matt really came out of his shell in art school and in advertising and he got to really step into the person that he was probably always meant to be. And now his work and his life are intrinsically connected through the people he surrounds himself with and the things he does even outside of work to stay current in culture. We talked about this intersection of pushing the boundaries in creative fields and inclusion and ensuring that people feel a sense of belonging and that we first do no harm. It's a space that will continue to evolve. And the more opportunities we have to build trust with the people that we work with, the better the chances that we can approach conversations with curiosity and openness versus being offended and shutting down anytime we hear something that we don't agree with. Now, that being said... We all need to educate ourselves on what is and is not acceptable in the language that we use. One resource I'll link is a great article by Ella F. Washington. She's an organizational psychologist and a DEI strategist, and the article is called Recognizing and Responding to Microaggressions at Work. I would encourage everyone to dive into learning here. And this article isn't just for folks who might experience microaggressions, it's really for everybody. A lot of the language that we use comes from really questionable or problematic roots, and it's important just to be aware of the phrases that are in our repertoire. I hope you truly took away some inspiration from Matt's story in finding what he truly loves and making it his career. I think it shows us what's possible when we can find the right alignment. Thanks so much for listening to Working Your Way. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our episodes, show notes, additional resources, and more at selfatwork.com forward slash podcast.